This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, back together again. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on a Thursday on One Bills Live. And, uh, boy, I cannot wait to hear about the uh, interesting adventures of one Steve Tasker. He and I have not said a word to each other about what happened (laughs) down in South Florida as Steve was on a hunt for an invasive species, pythons that are not native to Florida. Steve was on a hunt to, uh, let's just say, corral some of these reptiles and uh, get them out of the wild where they're doing uh, some damage to the environment. Steve, what can you tell us? How did it play out? Not much. We've been planning it for weeks, right? So it is an invasive species. It's the Burmese python that got released into Florida because there must have been a trend back in whenever, 80s, 90s, 2000s, of people getting Burmese pythons as get as pets, and they get too big, and they turn them loose into the Everglades. They say, hey, perfect. I'll just turn them loose into the wild. It's great. Well, then they start breeding, and now they're they you can't get rid of them, right? So the state has allowed people to go out and harvest these things, right? And it's amazing because it's a snake, nobody cares. I mean, you're not – PETA doesn't care. I mean <laughs> – like, there's nobody with any sympathy for these snakes, right? Have at it. Have at it, right. So, weeks ago, my son said, hey, I want to do this. And I said, yeah, I'm in. So, for weeks, we've been planning to go on this python hunt. And there's a big windup. You know, all our families, like, what might, you know, like, my mom is going, like, you're crazy. Go, there's no way I'd touch a snake, right? So, and because they're what are you thinking? Right. So you go on YouTube and all these these other we got a guide and everything, right? We're gonna go out and they do this all the time. Constant a lot. Every all the time. And so there's all kinds of videos out there where, you know, you got these like 12 foot snakes these guys are pulling in, right? So it's it's not like, you know, going fishing for minnows, right? I mean, you're just you, this is kind of like you gotta like handle this thing, right? So we go out, we, and we're going to go at night. We knew from the very beginning, I, to, to her credit, the guide that we used said, this is going to be a very difficult time of year because it's not winter and it's not yet summer. So in the winter, they come out in the day and they, they, go, they hide out at night. It's, a, it's day hunting. But then in the summer months, when it's smoking hot during the day, they lay low during the day, and then they come out at night. So... She kept her ear to the ground over the last few weeks as to what it would be best, and we decided it was going to be a night hunt, right? So we're going to go out at night. Oh, boy. Right? You have I'm spelunking I'm lamps on your forehead? Giant. I can picture Steve. He's got the lamp, right? <laughs> giant snakes at night. <laughs> so so I'm thinking, what are we going to get into? And what kind you know, what's this guy going to be? It's, it's, you know, it's a couple, it's a man and woman. They're together and they're, you know, that's their thing. It's their business. Right. And they do it. I asked the guy, he goes, we're out at least twice a week. We're out mm. sometimes four times a week. We're out doing this. So they pull up and they got this truck. That's got, it's a pickup, big King cab. Pick, it's very nice. Right. You can, as you'd imagine, and it's got a platform across the back of the cab where you stand up above the cab with these big <laughs> floodlights, right? I mean, it lights up the whole swamp, right? But at night, you 
And thankfully, you don't go to some place and start traipsing through the wilderness, right, at night in Florida. You drive down these. I, I wouldn't. Right. Neither would I, despite, you know, this, you know, this guided trip we're on. So you drive down these very, and I mean very, rural roads. And you're going really slow. Cause you're standing in the back of this pickup. Well, there's a railing and stuff. It's, it's safe enough because you're not going fast. And you're driving down this road in pitch black. And I mean, in the Everglades, <laughs> dude, when they say it's night, it is dark night. I mean, there is no yeah. lights, no street light, nothing. Right? So we're traipsing through, and we got this big ba- these big lights. You know, like, so we're traipsing really slow down this road. And I'll say this. This is the funny part about it. We did not see a single snake. Not a one. Four and oh a half four and a half hours we're out there. And you know, in you the kinda, dark. You kind of got a little bit of adrenaline thing, because if one of them pops up, you gotta like you know, the way we were she was giving us all the rundown while we were talking. She had story after story about how you do it, what you do it, how what's gonna happen. So you got this little bit of, you know, adrenaline. That is kind of like I got to be ready to jump out of the back of this pickup on top of a, you know, possibly a 15 foot snake or at least a so hold six on foot a second. snake. Hold on. Hold on. I got to stop you there. So th- let me get this straight. The plan upon sight of a snake is to leap out of the truck and tackle said snake, grab it as quickly as you can by its head. And then what do you do? You just snap its neck or something? Like, these things are big. What are you you're just going to jump on one and it's not going to coil up around well, you and squeeze the life out of you first? Well, we jump on it. I mean, it's not me. I mean, you know, oh, I'm it's saying, a, right. It's a we thing. It's like we gang up on it. There ain't no question. I ain't, I ain't doing it by my. But, yeah, that's basically it. You're, I wow. Got, nobody even, we don't even have gloves on, Brownie. I mean, we're going to jump. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's, that's the way it's done. Because they move, you know, they start to get you. And the thing about it is, you are. It is illegal in to have a one of these Burmese pythons. It's it's illegal to have one live. All right. So so it, it's not a dead or alive situation. Bring is, them home dead. It, it's it's exactly right. And they have a, a little like a like it's the same kind of gun they use in the meatpacking industry. A little bolt gun. It's not a. It doesn't have a projectile. It just expires at. And, you know, right then, and you're allowed, you're not allowed to transport them live, like show them, like take them home and show them to people before that. You got to do it. You, you can't have them. They want them D E A D. So, mm. you know, what are you going to do? We didn't, that wasn't our problem. We didn't have, we didn't even see one, <laughs> but I'll say this, <laughs> we're traipsing, we're rolling through this, you know, on a road, no question. So it's solid ground where we're at. But on both sides, it's either swamp or, or a canal. And I, let me just say this. <laughs> Gators are everywhere. And it's night. Mm. So I'm like, I don't even want to step on the gravel road, right? I mean, it's... Right, which begs the question. If you did find a snake and two or three of you jump out and, you know, pile on top of this thing, who's to say a, a gator ain't hanging out and going... Hey, this looks like I got pretty good odds here. I got three humans and a giant snake. I'm going to have a meal somewhere. Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing that says that can't happen. (laughs) To my knowledge. 
was that in the was that in the liability waiver anywhere when you signed your life well, away? There, there was a, there was a waiver to be signed. Yes. Oh, I, there, I right? bet there was. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but you know, so that that all happened, and it was uh, be- it was a beautiful night. But man, oh man, it's <laughs> it's dark in the swamp, and we, you know, thank goodness the lights didn't go out. But it was. It was so, you know, we're down in South, we're, you know, we're in the Everglades, right? Or you know, somewhere down in there. And it's 76 degrees at night. And the humidity had to be whatever, 90%. And it's so humid at 76 degrees, it was cold. I mean, we had, I like put jackets on. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Wow. It was unbelievable. Right. It was so humid and hot that, it, that we were driving and the breeze coming over you felt chilly. We got chilly. But I'm telling you what, Brownie, that, it, you know, it, it wasn't free to do this either, right? It was pretty pricey to get this Well, that's done. what I was going to say again because I wonder how much of this operation, shall we say, that this couple is running is on the level. I mean, how realistic is it? It is. Uh, you can re- to get a snake it. when it's not right. summer or, as you said, winter. That's my. Well, you that's can, my. Yeah. Skeptics question. Yeah, you can. Uh, yeah, you can do. Um, and like, like I said, it's the state opens it up. You can do it if you want. Anybody can go out. You can go out there in your little, uh, you know, in your little Fiat, and you know, troll for you know, drive around looking for them. But you know, they've got a lot of people. That are that there were some that were hired by the state to do this as as okay python hunters and you know so and so they you know and so some of them were doing that that like our guide was doing that and then she said listen it's not it wasn't lucrative the state didn't pay enough it wasn't lucrative enough she started doing it on the side uh, like privately so once she you know knew the ropes and knew how to do it and stuff and and that it's a you know obviously a subculture there's a lot of python hunters down there and they keep in touch and they sh- they share secrets and spots and all of that it was there a reality series because there probably should be there's plenty of it vi- because we went on you know trying to get prepared for this what are we looking at here what am i getting into so you get online and look at the videos and it's like you know there's joe her record she pulled out a 17 footer with one of the groups she took out they pulled a 17 foot snake out of there and then she's got 12 she had a 12 footer and 8 footer just like last week she's she was telling the story and you know it's just so they're they're they are big snakes so so if they do catch them they have to bring the yeah the snake back right yeah they pull it out of there the, yeah they bring it back and and either you know you you know you know how it is snakeskin wallets and boots or whatever you want but all the but she said because it's uh because of the way – I can't remember why she said they don't do it too much, but there was nobody that worked those types of hides in as a craft anymore because uh-huh. in the, it became illegal to have them or whatever. I, I can't remember exactly how it was, but there was a, a, a lack of craftsmen to actually put the hides to good use. So there, that's only just now starting to become a thing again. Okay. And I would imagine they would har- – Sir. Say it again. 
I guess they would harvest the meat, right? Soup, soup they kitchens say, or listen, that's it. They say you're, they don't want you to organizations. Eat, they do not want you to eat Burmese pythons out of the glades. Oh, they they do not recommend that. So okay, because snakes all it's all muscle, like right? Yeah, the whole thing a little bit like a fish, right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but maybe yeah, maybe like a gator or something i'll tell you in one sense you know we kind of had the build-up for this it was my son and his friend and then me there's three of us and then the two guides and you kind of build up for this you so it was we were incredibly disappointed that we didn't even see one let alone let one get away or you know or and you know thankfully didn't get bit or anything but for the build-up and the angst you know you, you can imagine you gotta like Get ready, right? I mean, I, we were like mentally. Oh, the prepared. adrenaline's going. We were, we were picture. You know, you go, you're driving out there, and you go, what am I going to do if they're one? You know, laying across the middle of this road, and it's like twelve feet long. What, you know, what am I going to do? And you kind of got to get yourself mentally ready for that. And then to have it not happen was a little bit disappointing. I will say that. I can say it now, although yeah. I might be thankful if it ever happened, and I realize what I was actually getting into. Maybe I'll be thankful that we didn't get one, but. For then, you know, for the night that we were out there, it's like, man, we were all ready for it. Let's go. And then it never happened. Yeah. I'd probably be telling the driver, hey, pin down the head with the tire. Right? Right, right over the head. Speed up. <laughs> I'll get the rest. Speed up and hit it. <laughs> and then back over it. <laughs> and then let me see how it looks. <laughs> so there. Yeah. That's so that was a big, I that was the big uh, snake hunt. The python hunt. And I, I can tell you right now, because we were we had the experience we did, we go down, we have family down there, and my son and his wife go down a, a lot. You can bet we're going to do it again. Oh, boy. You know, I, we're just going to be out there again, probably without a guide this time. Because she's. they were very encouraging, like, you can do this. You can just come out. But, you know, you <laughs> you got to be ready. Yeah, do it during the day. Right? I mean, so. Not, yeah. I, I'm not going in there at night by myself. We had, somebody. Yeah. Know. You make one wrong turn, you're in the swamp. Then you're beached. That's then what right. are you doing now? You are exactly right. And there's, and like I said, there was. I we we stopped counting gators. Oh, when did you stop counting? At what thirty? No, no, 40? no. We just we drive by and you just see eyes, you know. And then we yeah, saw eyeballs, one, we yeah. saw like one six footer that was out on you know, across the side road. And he saw us and went back into the water. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, You know. So if there's, you know, gators, yeah, those are real. Right as as right as of right now, Burmese pythons are a a myth right now. So because we haven't seen one of those, they're like big. (laughs) They're like yeah, yeah, they're like Bigfoot, (laughs) right? So that that's great. I love it. Uh, well, I'm sorry I didn't catch one, but it sounded like uh, the adrenaline was still pumping anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah, so we are um, out there for four and a half hours until you know well past midnight, and it was just. I mean, I'm an I'm an old guy. I can't do late nights like that, so I'm kind of still feeling it, <laughs> even though it was like it was like Monday we were out there. Yeah, now people are tweeting us anacondas from Brazil, saying this should be the next Tasker family hunt. Yeah, they got an anaconda here. Uh, this thing's oh, got to be about it. 50, 60 feet long. I've seen it. I saw that, and I said, is this what we're hunting? I sent that exact gif to my son going, here we go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, this anaconda. <laughs> that anaconda is like 50 feet long on that Twitter feed. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And it's 
its middle is about as big as your torso. Oh, around. it's huge. It's about it's about the same. It literally looks fifty feet long in this picture. It it's I, it can't. I even, think it, can, it might be. It's so heavy it can't hardly crawl because anacondas are actually more water snakes than they are land snakes. That yeah, thing, they probably have to be so they can get around. It's literally the Pretty one. Crazy. The one we're looking at has got to be literally 30, 30 plus feet long. Oh, all right, yeah, yeah. that um, is nuts. Well, I'm I'm glad you had fun. Um, yeah, I was more. Probably would have been. Yeah, I, I had more. I had more success playing golf down there than I did python hunting. No, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's uh, catch everybody up to speed on what's been going down. Probably the latest Bills news is there are reports out there that Jordan Phillips is on his way back to the Bills on a one-year contract, which conceivably would shore up the top four at the position for the upcoming season team hasn't confirmed it yet. Um, but that would put him back in with the other three that they had a defensive tackle last year to run it back, so to speak at the position, barring any other changes, all of them though are on expiring contracts. If in fact it is a one-year deal for Jordan Phillips, who I think unfortunately you know, suffered two major injuries and really didn't provide the impact that I think we all hoped that he would because, I mean, that's a guy, the last time he was in a Bills uniform before last season, had a nine-and-a-half sack campaign. And I think at his best, he can still be that, especially he, yeah. with Von Miller back in the fold. I agree. So, he was he was really playing at a high level. And in the Thanksgiving game, he dislocated his – or I think we, you and I think he dislocated his shoulder – uh, the, and he played one arm the entire rest of the season and lost him as his effectiveness. But man, oh man, he he is a different. I think he's a difference maker up front. Yeah, he he actually got hurt in the first Patriots game. Remember, he was chasing after Mac Jones on that long extended play, and then he tried to dive at him and I thought that was swing his arm. That was a Detroit game. He was chasing Goff. No, no, he was he was hot in pursuit of Mac Jones on a ridiculously extended play and he tried to dive at him and swipe his arm at his feet right. to try to just trip him. Oh, I got that wrong. And he missed Mac Jones and he landed on his right shoulder and then rolled over on his back and instantly knew what he did, yeah. which was basically tear his rotator cuff. So he's going to come here on the double back and try to swipe at his leg. Our right MSG there, viewers yeah. are saying that's where he tore his yep. rotator cuff right well, there. You know what? And the, you know what else happened early in the season week two in the Titans game, Milano had the pick six and Jordan Phillips was chasing him and went down like, like he got shot uh, when he pulled his hammy. By a sniper, yeah. Yeah, he, got, he pulled his hammy. We've seen a ton. I, we used to watch it on film all the time happen to guys where they're sprinting and going and they just fall forward and just right down. He pulled a hammy. And he, so that, that set him back as well. So it was a rough year for him last year uh, with those two injuries. Um, but, man, oh, man, I – he has always played extremely well for the Bills. Um, he had the stint in Arizona where he did not have as much success. But, man, oh, man, for the Bills, he's played great. Right. And while you were out, uh, it came down, and it's not official yet either, but safety Taylor Rapp here on a one-year deal. Steve, to me, and I was mentioning this with Maddie when I was on with her on Tuesday, to me, this is a coup of a signing. Because this is a guy that is a proven starter in the league, a former second-round pick, 
And, you know, obviously he experienced a lot of what Jordan Poyer experienced in the safety market with it being so saturated with starting caliber talent that there just wasn't enough money to go around to give everybody their proper value. And that's why Jordan Poyer ultimately comes back to the bills because there were 18 starting free safeties in the free agent market. And only the top of that, only the top of that position group was going to get paid, namely Jesse Bates, who's a 26 year old pro bowl player who got a four year, $64 million deal from Atlanta. And after that, most guys got probably what they feel was below their market value. And Here's Taylor Rapp in the third week of free agency looking for a job. And this is how Brandon Bean operates. He'll sift through what's left in the market and he'll say, love to have this guy. And I think we can all speculate as to what the future holds because Taylor Rapp could be here for a year and then may want to go in the market and maximize how much money he can make. And maybe he just goes to the highest bidder, but If things go well here and, you know, Micah Hyde's in the last year of his contract, who knows? Maybe Micah Hyde calls it a career after this season. And if he's out of the mix, now there's suddenly a spot and you got a guy that's been in the defense for a year already. Talk about a transition, a transition from a 32 year old pro bowl caliber safety to a 27 year old safety. Who's on the cusp of pro bowl status. I mean, right. That's that could be a coup. Maybe we could be looking back on this contract and this signing a year from now and be like, time to tip your hat to Brandon Bean once again. You know what I mean? Like, this is big. Right. Um, it could be. And you like to spin it that way. Um, you might, And it might be, too, that we get to the end of the year next year and think, wow, we need somebody. And all of them are on expiring contracts and you don't have anybody. I mean, we're going to be there. You know we're going to be there because Taylor Rapp's not going to come back and say, I'm going to, you know. They're all going to see what the market is. There's not going to be, maybe, there's probably not going to be 18 starting safeties on the market next year. Um, right. Trap is, or Rap has got to be also thinking, you know, Jordan and Micah, neither one of them could stay healthy last year, Micah in particular. And Jordan gutted out an entire season, lost five games anyway. Um, might be that this might be my spot to – jump on the field and get on on a really good defense with the head coach calling signals and have a chance to really shine. Um, it's a good opportunity, I think, for him because of the age of the two guys that are going to be starting. Um, he's 25 years old. That's a that's a great spot. That's crazy. Yeah, and, that's a great spot. And he's a four-year starter. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's a great – that's so a great sign. Here's the other thing we speculated about, and tell me what you think about this. We know McDermott's taking over the play calling duties this season. And as it is every year, there are some tweaks to defensive systems. No matter how successful they are with a player, the caliber of Taylor Rapp. I don't know how you justify keeping him off the field, which then begs the question, do you have some packages where you go to a three safety look because McDermott has done that in the past. He did it his last couple of years at times in Carolina when he had three pretty good safeties. I I think it's at least possible that you could see that if not on a regular basis for 10 or 15 snaps, maybe with a given opponent, if you know what I'm getting at, who comes off the field. 
It's a good question. Um, it's probably a linebacker. Maybe and a middle linebacker that we don't, don't know who it is yet. Leave could Mo- be. Leave Milano on the field, put the safety in, have, walk him down into the box with him and Taron Johnson. Yeah, yeah, I could see that maybe or, in a long or yardage. Or a team puts 10 personnel on the field. Right. Right. You know, you could, there's a team that's going to go four wide for most of the day. That's not bad to turn to either. Do you think we're going to see, and this is, I don't want to get off the subject here because we're going to start to go down a rabbit hole, but, you know, it could be too with Sean McDermott as head coach. Maybe they do have different personnel packages on defense for the first time. I mean, significantly. You know, because they, they, mm-hmm. they're 90% of the time they're in nickel. You can't get them out of that. Unless it's short yardage or goal line, they're always in nickel defense. So maybe that will change a little bit with Sean McDermott calling the defensive signals and and putting the game plan together. Maybe they do a little more of that. It's possible. I I think it's at least possible because McDermott and his defensive – his whole coaching staff, they say this all the time. We just want to get the best 11 players on the field. Right. I think it'd be hard-pressed to say Rap isn't one of your 11 best defenders right now. Yeah. Now, that's subject to change based on what they acquire in the draft, but I think there's a pretty good chance he's still going to be one of your top 11 guys. Yeah, here's the thing. And here's what we we haven't talked too much about it. You get your best 11 on the field. Okay, that's great. And, and I don't know what the significant drop-off is between the 11th player and the, and the uh, 12th player. You know what I mean? I mean, what the difference is right there. But right. to me, offensively, teams are always talking about matchups. And I don't know why that doesn't apply to the defense. So, if you know what I mean? Why don't you match your personnel? And maybe you like what it does to the offensive game plan if they know they're going to get the same personnel every time, no matter who they put on the field. Maybe that changes things in your favor in a way you like. I get that. But for me, if they come out in a certain personnel grouping – if you've got a better physical matchup with a different personnel, I, I mean, we've seen it for decades. That's that's what most teams do. They match personnel. Yeah, they don't match defensive play call with personnel. You know, right? I guess what I'm saying is they'll have a package, I think, in place where if they believe based on their opponent that given week, if they expect they may get a look from them that they feel is fitting for a three-safety look on defense, they're going to have it at the ready. I guess that's what I'm kind of saying. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, How much that shows up in a given week remains to be seen, and it may not fit at all most I, weeks. But I, I think we saw be, New England very yeah, successfully use a three-safety defense for most of the year with Kyle Duggar and Adrian Phillips and McCourty. Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch the Bills' defense deploy with Sean McDermott calling the plays. I'm, I, because you can say you got the best 11 guys on the field now, and, and you say that, but by the same token, we tend to make, make light of the rotation up front. There's eight guys that rotate through, so it's never the same 11 guys right. on, right? They just never change the back end. It's always the same, same six guys on the back or the same seven guys on the back end with Taron in the two corners and the safeties along with the two linebackers. I mean, so it's the same seven guys in the back end, but it's maybe they always change up the front. Maybe they do that a little more with the, you know, the linebackers and the corners and the safeties this year uh, to get some different matchups. Because I think it's – I get it that they're the best 11 guys, but man, oh man, I think you got some different physical matchups you could – take advantage of if you give guys other guys a chance to maybe get a niche role in your defense 
so that when a certain down and yeah. distance and a certain personnel grouping gets on the field, this per- defender should be on the field as well and, and getting taking advantage of that matchup. It, maybe it doesn't happen that often that you get in a down and distance with a personnel package from the other team that you want to take advantage of defensively. But I know it happens offensively, and I don't know how, how it could be that much different on the other side of the coin. Yeah, I, I'm just – knowing how fine Coach McDermott cuts it and how much he sweats the details, I just – I really think that's that's going to factor into the plan somewhere at yeah. some point this season. How can, often yeah. is a big question, and a lot of variables come into play on that. But topic of discussion today, speaking of free agent signings, which new free agent signing do you think will pay off the most in the 2023 season? You can let us know at 803-0550. That's the local number to get on board. 1-888-550-2550, the toll-free number, as there is a big list to choose from. And I should specify, we are talking new players to the roster as free agent signings. So, you know, we're not talking about re-signing Jordan Poyer or re-signing Jordan Phillips, which is reportedly going to happen. So which new free agent signings, players that are new to the roster, do you believe will pay off the most for the Bills in the 2023 season? 803-0550-1-888-550-2550, the number to get it on board. Steve and I will take a break here, but your phone calls are coming our way the rest of the show. We are wide open today for two hours. So feel free to chime in at your discretion or hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. Break time here, but we're back with your phone calls next on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on a Thursday. And before we get to phone calls, as we are asking you today, which new free agent signing will pay off the most for the Bills in 2020? 23 talking about new players to the roster not guys that re-signed in free agency you let us know at 803-0550-1-888-550-2550 open line for you there or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet steve we didn't get a chance to go around the nfl and the only reason i wanted to do this which incidentally is presented by collida health the official healthcare system of the buffalo bills is it is florida's pro day today and obviously all eyes were on the quarterback anthony richardson who's apparently met with the Panthers and the Raiders who hold the first and I believe seventh pick in round one uh, ahead of the pro day. So yeah, that's all well and good. Obviously a name that's of interest to bills fans, maybe less so with the signing of two free agent guards, Osiris Torrance, uh, the starting guard for, for Florida. He was there as well. The interesting note that came out of it was, and I believe this was reported by NFL Network, Steve, that the Titans, the Rams, the Falcons, and the Saints have all met with Osiris Torrance between, I don't know, the last day or so and the time that the pro day took place. And maybe one of those teams will meet him tonight. But what I find interesting, Steve, is this. The Falcons have the eighth pick. There's no way they're drafting Osiris Torrance there. So it's probably high second round where they would pick him because I believe in round two, they have the eighth pick as well. So you're talking 40th, right? Let's see here. Pick 44, I think is what they have. Yeah. They have 44. I'm looking at it. Okay. So they have pick 44 in round two. The Titans have pick 41. The Rams have pick 36 and the saints have pick 29 
in round one. Uh, and then they pick again at 40. So my thinking, Steve, is the grade on Osiris Torrance is somewhere in the top half of the second round, which would seemingly remove him as an option for the Bills at 27. If you got four different teams meeting with Osiris Torrance and they all pick top half second round, to me, that would remove him as an option of value for Buffalo, unless they think oh, he is over the moon better than that. And I would tend to doubt that to some degree. Right. And it would also depend on what the board looks like when he comes up. When the 27 pick comes up and there's, you know, they want to take a guy at that position group and he's the, either the best one they've got or there is somebody else at another position group that looks better. Um, I don't have a problem taking a guy who's projected at the top half of the second in the first, particularly a guy who's going to, who's got a chance to play start a right tackle for you. You know what I mean? Uh, if he's going to mm-hmm. do, if they've project him as he could start for him at right tackle, get him on a five-year rookie deal. So instead of a four-year. Because then you get the extra year if he turns out great. And even if it, the worst comes to worst, you can franchise him twice, all that stuff. Uh, but you get him at a second, you get him at a fifth year uh, on a rookie deal. Then you have him and Spencer Brown working on their rookie deals, and you can you can work with it. Here's Here's the other thing to think about, too, Steve. And I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm just going on just past memory, which sometimes can be dangerous. But in this case, I don't think it is. There aren't a whole lot of guards that ever get drafted in round one. It is mainly, from an offensive line perspective, a round for offensive tackles and occasionally an all-world center. Right. You know, but even even uh, the best center in the draft a couple of years ago, Creed Humphrey, I think he went either at the bottom of round one or maybe even round two. I'm trying to remember. He took, and, Yeah, Kansas City you know, took he's him in the first. Yeah, I mean, but he went like 30th. Right. You know what I mean? And That's right. So I guess my, my point is, yeah, you could take a guard down there at the end of round one. When did Indianapolis But more often than guard? not, if there's – Oh, you're talking about, yeah, um, from Notre Dame. Nelson. Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson. Yeah. He did – he went sixth. So, yeah, it does happen. There are all-world guards that are, oh, these guys can't miss. you got to right. take them. And, and they do that. But to me – it just seems over the years, those are few and far between. Um, Eric Wood is probably the last Bills pick that well, was a guard slash center. Co- yeah, he was a co- center by trade in college, started here at guard. Cody Ford was a um, second round a, pick. Yes, but he was also a guard tackle. Remember, they thought he might be able to play tackle yes. at the pros, and obviously that's that never happened. Uh, right. Wyatt Teller was a what a fifth seventh what was he Wyatt Teller it was a fifth round fifth pick. round pick I I yeah. get you that so that kind of strengthens your point about you know guards not really it's like trying it's like picking a running back in the first round kind of right um, maybe you know there's as, just not a lot of first round value right. historically for guards the and reason, so with that in mind I think if they pick an offensive lineman it's probably going to be a tackle that slides a little bit or fits the value right. It's it's yes, because you'd think that most times a guy you pick to play tackle with that kind of ability can slide down, play guard without a problem because guard exactly. is there's few, less space. 
it's an easier game to play. Oh, really, what you need is some weight uh, to play guard. If you can play tackle and you're one of those heavy guys, you can play guard. Now, if you're a guy like a tall, lanky guy like Spencer Brown, it's a little more difficult, but it still can be done. Uh, if, you're, if you mm-hmm. can get down, if you can get low and get some pad level down to where take on a defensive tackle, that kind of thing, but it takes some leverage. Um, guard is notoriously easier to play than tackle because of the space factor. So that's why tackles are more coveted than guards because if you figure if you got a tackle who, at worst, he can slide down and play guard in a pinch, uh, it's harder mm-hmm. for a guard to slide out because they don't usually have the, the ability to cover as much space with as much athleticism and be as strong on the edge doing that as a tackle, a, as a true tackle would be. So um, I get what you're saying, and I, I hadn't really thought about that. Uh, if, but if, if they think he can play tackle, they, they don't have a problem taking a guard slash tackle rather than taking a guard slash nothing. Right. But everybody we've spoken with from all the way back at the Combine to now, when we ask him about Osiris Torrance, the, the prevailing opinion is guard only. Yeah, And because of that lack of position flex, I can't see him being a first-round option either. And now, seeing these four teams meeting with Osiris Torrance and all of them picking within 10 spots of each other in round two, I think it's a clear indication of where his draft board value sits. And so I would cross him off the list right now for pick 27. I'm not – you never say never – but I think it's moved into the highly unlikely category that Osiris Torrance is a consideration for the Bills at 27. Now, if they trade back and they're somewhere in that territory between 36 and 44, well, then, yeah, he's probably on the table. But at 27, mm, it's right. not looking that way. It'd be, it would be a little bit of a – yeah, you'd, you'd be reaching a little bit. About ten spots, probably yeah. right. You're you're reaching probably about ten spots at the top of the draft, which is a bigger reach for a, for a guard. Right, it's a bigger reach at the top of the draft than ten spots at the bottom of the draft. Uh, after everybody's had a chance to pick a couple of times, yeah, uh, ten. Yeah, that's like a full yeah. round, taking him a full round ahead of where you thought he would go. But you know, Brownie, I, yes, you're right. And on day on draft day, you might get crushed a little bit for taking a guy like Osiris Torrance. But if he turns into an all-pro guard, nobody's going to look twice. They'll be like, wow, you're brilliant. Right. You know? So right. there's that as well. Uh, if you get the guy and he turns into a great player, nobody cares where he's drafted unless you get him in like the fifth round, fourth round, like a Stephon Diggs. Right? Then you get yep. credit for it. But if, you know, if the guy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, wow, you're brilliant. Yeah. But if it's a guy like that you take at a two – like Wyatt Teller, no, came out of nowhere, right? Uh-huh. And turns into and, a great player. And, you, you know, you just don't right. know. Nobody can tell. Uh, but you get a lot of if, – if he was a – you know, if, right. If he was still a Bill, Bills be going, it, you know, wow, they're brilliant. So, going the other way, if the guy can play, nobody's going to say anything about it, whether you p- pick him 10 spots early or in the yeah. – you know what I mean? But if he doesn't, then they start to connect that with some other misses, which everybody's got misses, and then you start to look bad as a mm-hmm. as an organization, right? I mean, yeah. it starts it's to offici- go. It's officially, yeah. For me, it's officially moved into the unlikely territory. At yeah, I, I get for it. Osiris I, Torrance specifically. I like, I like 
I like that line of reasoning. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, not that I don't think it could, might not happen, unless maybe like this, like five, ta- like four quarterbacks, four tackles. You know what I mean? If there's a, bu- a run on those guys, if like the draft board falls where a lot of those guys are going and he's starting to be one of a very dwindling number of guys available who are drafted, you know, who are thought to be good pros, then maybe it's not such a reach because you got to get him while you can get him. But that's mm. unlikely as well. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to the phones real quick. And leading us off there is Colleen in Orchard Park. Uh, what do you got for us, Colleen? You're on One Bills Live. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say um, this is for my father. My father passed away last Friday. And he loves Steve and Chris. And watched every single day, winter, spring, summer, fall. And he just passed away, and he was in hospice. And even in hospice, we had your show on. He listened to you, and he loved it. He just loved it. And we knew, don't call Dad from 1 to 3 because he was going to be watching Brownie and, and Steve. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, Colleen, what was, Colleen, what's your father's name, if you don't mind saying? Mr. Bill Beardsley. All right. Well, thank you so much, and I'm, we're sorry about your loss. Uh, but thank you for oh, calling. Thank What's you. on? What else oh, is, is there? Anything you. else? No, that's that's all. And thank you very much. And he loved your show. Just want to say how how great you were with him. It gave him entertainment for the afternoon. Well, that's so. Thank you very much, Colleen. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank I'm sorry you, about once again. Sorry about your loss. I'm glad uh, oh, that thanks. we could uh, we could be there for him at, uh, whenever we were. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Yeah, our condolences to you, of course. Uh, you hate to hear those, but at the same time, it, it it makes you feel good that even if you can entertain somebody that, you know, I don't know what his condition was, Steve, but if you can entertain somebody while they're maybe sitting in a in a bed where they don't want to be, take them away from their environment, even for 10 minutes or whatever. Or, yeah. You know, they can laugh at us because we're messing something up or just being uh, talking about snake hunts or whatever the heck we're doing. Right. I'll right. take it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, that's good. I'm, that's nice. And I'm, you know what? It's not just me and Brownie either. There's a bunch of guys back in the control room that like getting that kind of feedback as well. So thanks, Colleen. Appreciate you. Yeah. Uh, we will take a break on that note. When we come back, we're going to be on a much lighter note because <laughs> we're going to be talking about genetically grown food. This is insane, and you've got to hear about it. Steve and I will tell you about it next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And uh, we we kind of teased this before we went to break. I think uh, just when you think you've seen it all, Steve, the scientists in the lab begin to amaze yet again. And they've done it in Australia, a company by the name of VOW, V-O-W, on Tuesday, unveiled a meatball made from lab-grown cultured meat using the genetic sequence from the long-extinct woolly mammoth. Cultivated meat, 
Also called cultured or cell-based meat is made from animal cells. And the reason they're pushing this forward, I guess, is because livestock doesn't need to be killed to produce it. So they say that's better, not just for animals, obviously, but for the environment. Um, I guess they used gen available genetic information from the mammoth and then filled in the missing parts of the genetic data from its closest living relative, which is the African elephant. They put it into a sheep cell and grew it to the point where they could roll up the tissue into a meatball, which they put on display in Amsterdam. I don't know why they had to fly it there. Uh, could you imagine these people flying um, a woolly mammoth meatball in a cooler? Yeah, all that <laughs> stuff about the cell growth and in a petri it doesn't really sound that appetizing. Yeah, it doesn't. And and I got to tell you, the most hilarious part of this, and I know our MSG viewers are getting a look at this meatball, which was put on display with a fork and a knife, uh, almost humorously. There's actual seasoning on, on top of the meatball. My favorite part of the whole story, Steve, is that the mammoth meatball apparently is a one-off, thank God. Right. And has not been tasted, even by its creators, nor is it planned to put be put into commercial production. It was presented as a source of protein that would get people talking about the future of meat. So using our past to uh, discuss the future of meat, Steve, how amazed are you? Uh, pretty amazed. I, amazed might be a little bit of a, an inaccurate... <laughs> Disappetized, I guess. Is there a word like disappetized? Uh, I think uh, grossed out could yeah. work. Um, um, yeah, not that's not for me. I, there's only one country that has been uh, that has you know um, that has been has out has made it legal to consume what yeah, do you cell call based meat, meat for cell based meat and it is uh it's a southeast asia which who who did it who was let me look it up it's right here singapore singapore so you can eat food that has been like meat that has been grown in a dish <laughs> you can only do yeah, that in singapore dish, yeah. yeah you can only do that in singapore yeah apparently this company is hoping to sell its first product there a uh, cultivated quail meat uh, in a Petri dish. Uh, hopefully most of you are through your lunch uh, at this point. Otherwise, your lunch could be coming back on you uh, with all this talk. So I apologize in advance for that. But I was like, what? A mammoth meatball. So now the headline was like mammoth meatball. So I was like, oh, wow, how big is this thing? Yeah, they said But then I find out that it's actually from a woolly mammoth dna right well they said it's it's the size it's between it's it's pretty good sized uh i mean it's between the softball and a meat and a volleyball so you know i mean it's big it's gigantic and they they slow baked it and then <laughs> and then finished it off with a blowtorch on the outside reportedly it smelled great when they were cooking it. No, it didn't. Right? That's no, what they said. It, it said it, it smelled great. It did not great. smell great. It said it no smelled good. It said it smelled good. No. Oh. They said the aroma was something similar to. In any universe, did it smell great? It said, you know what it's. <laughs> now, this is the best part. You know what it smelled kind of like? It kind of smelled like oh. a meat that we produced before out of crocodile. <laughs> 
Well, at least they didn't say it smelled like chicken. Right. I mean, at least they picked something else. It smells like crocodile. Oh, yeah, because we all know what that smells like. Right. Let's pick something that nobody knows what it smells like and use that. Yeah, it smells like crocodile. What? So, you know, so it was, they said, you know, the animal was said in this, the article that we were looking at was the animal has been extinct for 4,000 years. So it's fairly recent. Mm -hmm. But, you know. It was a very different aroma when they were co- slow baked. Yeah. They slow baked the. Well, let me just think of it. Let me just take this too. So you got this stuff that grew in a. I don't, I can't even imagine what a, a huge petri dish. What a, what? Anyway, so then yeah, they, I guess they put it in a sheep cell. They took a, a a living cell of a sheep and like injected it into that. I think I'm not a scientist. I'm just looking at what I read here. Yeah. And then so, grew it from there. I so guess, then, once that once it gets to a certain spot, then I, somebody, a lab tech, <laughs> gather like gets puts the rubber gloves on, and smooshes it into a. Yeah, roll it up. Right, you got to pack it like a big <laughs> snowball, and then you know, get yeah, turn. Hey, preheat that oven to three fifty, and yeah. we're gonna throw this thing in there. See what it smells like. Did we use any egg or like you know, dice up some onions yeah, and right. so, some parsley? Yeah, right. Roll that if in it's there. A, right now, That's you're, how you make a meatball. You've got some experience with meatballs, given your your you know. Don't yeah. you like add stuff into a meatball? Yeah, you got to crack an egg and get that yeah. in there. Breadcrumbs. I mean, come on, what are we doing? What like, recipe- if we're going to do this, <laughs> if we're going to go to the trouble of organically growing a mammoth meatball in a petri dish, at least season it properly. I mean, have right. some respect. And then how? And then if you're going to season it and put all the other stuff in it, how bad can it taste anyway? Right. You know, like how I much just, of that stuff is there? What's the ratio? Is it a hundred percent meat? Which it sounds like it is. You know, I, it just still fascinates me how we pull meat literally out of thin air here now. Yeah. Like that's just uh, that I'm, still doesn't compute for me. I'm not and ready for that. Maybe my brain can't get there. Listen, I'm as sci-fi as the next guy. I mean, I'm a, I, I like Star Trek and, you know, and all that stuff and, you know, all the all the, the sci-fi movies and, you know. But now you're going down into the yeah, it's kind of like, eh, I'm not it's not yeah. for me. I think I'm I think I'm going to hold out for a uh a Velociraptor burger or something. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to wait for that or a, you know, that a T-Rex be souffle or something. That'll be that'll be now that I'm, may be Tomorrow's Twitter question: What prehistoric meat are you holding out for, synthetically? What's the one you gotta have? Right, T-Rex what? souffle. Right, yeah, pterodactyl tacos. Right, you know something. I mean? like, it's gotta be something. make it interesting. Gotta be some sort. Of either I, you have to go through the a list of extinct, you know, animals like a dodo bird yeah. or something. You know, dodo bird. All the extinct animals. Which one yeah. would you hold out for? Which, what do you really got to you gotta try? And Wouldn't it be like a, a T-Rex or something? Yeah, it's got to be like a dinosaur of some kind. I mean, with how yeah. influenced we've been by all those movies. I mean, come on. we got to have one of those. Right. So, uh, yeah. That, I, I just had to talk about that. Because I, I, you could have given me a chance to come up with a thousand ideas on the next food product. And I wouldn't have even come within a mile of this. No way, Jose. Just my brain couldn't even go there if you wanted me to. I know this is an Australian company we're talking about. Let me just tell you, what would happen if my tax dollars got spent on that? (laughs) (laughs) I 
might I might be right firing off a hot letter to my congressman right then over Yeah. How about we work on cutting fuel costs? Could you, could you uh, fix before the we start ho- growing meatballs in a fix, dish? Could you fix the hole in my road first? Then give me <laughs> the mammoth. Unless that mammoth meatball will fill the pothole in my Fill street, the pothole. <laughs> I'm not interested. <laughs> All right, we 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 got to take a break. We're off the road here. Uh, second hour of the show, we'll get back on it. We are talking about which Bill's new free agent signing do you think will have the biggest payoff in 2023? Steve and I also have a discussion coming up on Buffalo's pick at 27 and whether we think they stay put, go up, or slide back. We'll get into all of that when we return and take your phone calls as well. Here on One Bill's Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bill's Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are, hour number two on a Thursday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and we are talking about the Bills' new free agent signings and which one you think will pay off the most in the 2023 season. Whose cream will rise to the top and help the Bills get victories the most this year? Obviously, everybody will have a hand in it, but who might be far and away the free agent signee Winner, uh, asking you at 803-0550-1888-550-2550, the number to get on board. And leading us off in this segment is Gary on a cell. What do you got for us, Gary? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, guys. How y'all doing? Great. Good. I got three players, if that's all right, because two affect one. The other one. Uh, the two guards, you know, David Edwards and Connor McGovern. And then, obviously, Damian Harris, because he's killed us for the last three years. Plus, I like his running (laughs) style. It's going to be more inside running. And those two guards are going to affect that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair description. Um, You know, it's hard to really determine. I think it's pretty safe to say, Steve, that Connor McGovern is going to be a starter in this offense just based on the investment they made. He was the biggest financial commitment that they made so far this offseason in terms of a new free agent three years 23 million dollars so i i think it's pretty safe to say he's part of the starting lineup for sure and presumably at the left guard spot which is now vacant but i think david edwards is probably in for a competition at least with ryan bates he could end up winning that job and starting but i don't think he's as much of a lock in the starting lineup as as mcgovern is yeah, David Edwards, I think, has a little bit more to prove than McGovern does because he was hurt last year. Um, I mm-hmm. think, you know, him he'll have to come in and say, okay, how's he look after a year off, basically. Uh, he played four four games last year uh, and was out for the last 13 games of the season. So he, he's got something mm-hmm. to prove. So, yeah, they will probably keep an eye on him closely as how he, you know, acclimates back in. But you're right. Um, the two of those guys – 
along with Damian Harris. Damian Harris is an interesting signing because he's one of those guys that's a little more, you know, presidential. So I say he's one of those guys that is uh, really intelligent, really committed, a real professional, uh, applies himself, and also has the the ability to elevate those around him. And his effect on a guy like James Cook is probably a little bit of a part of the grocery list of reasons why they signed him. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think the Bills right. feel like he may be able to look at get James Cook to a place where he can be the lead guy. Certainly Damian Harris was, a, was the guy before he got injured two years ago. And then, of course, um, Ramondre Stevenson took over. But Harris is a guy who's still productive. I think that's the kind of scenario they're looking or the effect they're looking to have Harris have on Cook is to come in and say, hey, listen, this yes. is how you need to do it. I also found the comments of Coach McDermott very interesting with respect to Damian Harris and that he made just at the owners' meetings earlier this week. He basically said he loves Harris's combination of size, power, and speed. And then he said, I think the biggest part of that combination is the speed element. We knew we needed a bigger back, but not a 250-pound cloud of dust guy. So to find a player with some size, some power, but also the speed to go along with it, that's hard to defend because he can run up inside but bounce it outside too, and a play can go six yards or 60 with him as Bills fans saw firsthand in that windswept game a couple of years ago when he ripped off that 64-yarder for a touchdown. And I think what this is getting at, Steve, is Coach McDermott's unwillingness to put a player on the field that makes the offense predictable. And Harris Harris has enough of a varied skill set where that is not the case. He's not the you know, no offense to Carwell Gardner, but when he came on the field, people knew they were running straight ahead. Right. Uh, that's right. You don't want to be predictable. And I, I don't want this to sound bad, but in the years past with, with Devin Singletary on the field, you wanted a, a bigger back. Okay. That's not a very big bar. I mean, he was like 200, 5'9", 200, right? Or uh, buck 95. Yeah, Devin, maybe. Yeah. Devin Singletary. Um, and we, so being bigger than Devin, the bar's kind of low. And being faster than Devin, the bar's even lower. Um, getting bigger and faster at, at number one running back was not going to be difficult in this free agent market. But big, big guys right. who are really, really fast are rare, a la Derrick Henry. They don't, they don't happen very much. Guys like Nate, uh, Peterson, um, you know, guys of that nature, they just don't come along very often. Big, big guys who are very, very fast, who can carry the ball, are rare. But you want to get as close to it as you can. And Damian Harris is, I think, significantly closer to that kind of model than Devin Singletary has been. And anybody else who's yeah, even named, would... think about the guys they brought out into camp and all that. They just weren't either they were either they were pretty fast, not very big, or really big and slow. Right, and I would argue that even if you look up Damian Harris's 40 time at the Combine, it was a pretty pedestrian 4.57. He plays faster than that. 
Yeah. I mean, just from the evidence I've seen the last three years in New England, two games a year, he plays faster than that. He's got juice. Yeah. I, yeah, but nevertheless, and I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting, I'm more excited about the two guards that Gary called in about than I am the running backs. Um, those yeah. to me are bigger, together they're a bigger addition than one running back. Um, yeah. They give you depth and experience at a place where you were thin, and that's really good to me. I, if, you, if you're going to, like Gary did, if you're going to bundle those two guards together, yeah, I think it's gonna be hard, you're going to be hard-pressed to find one other guy on this free agent list that's going to contribute more than those guys, particularly if they both start. Yeah. Let's go back to the phones, and we'll go to Kevin in Lockport next. What do you got for us, Kevin? Yes. Uh, hi, Steve and Chris. My question on the free agency, I feel it's going to pay off the most, is Damian Harris only because the Bills are going to do better in the red zone when they need touchdowns close by. And I also got one draft question to ask you guys. I'm going to let you – I'm going to go off the phone. How about if we trade our number one pick, trade out of the first round, to the Houston Texans for their top pick in the second round and their top pick in the third round. I'm going to let you go, and you can answer that. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Um, I'd have to take a look to see if the value line's up right uh, where that would be a fair trade-off. Because with the Bills trading out of the bottom of round one, the value is not super great, even though it is a first-round draft choice. Um, so yeah, I the, would the draft the number for if you're given uh, the number twenty seven pick of the draft a six hundred six hundred and eighty value rating, which is what it is on the thing, and Houston's round two at the top of uh, thirty three instead of twenty seven, you drop down five spots. That goes down to five eighty. So that's like a two hundred point drop. And then he says, and then the one at sixty five would be two sixty five. It's so you're not getting all that. You're not getting all that. You might be able to trade your 27 and your 102 pick, um, or not 102. What are the What are the bills? Um, um, you could trade 90. Them, you could trade them the 91, or maybe the one. Yeah, you could. Yeah, even the 130 pick wouldn't be enough, unless they take it. Yeah. So you'd have to and trade that's them. My point. You'd have to trade them the one. And a and something else, and a third or fourth for those two twos or the two and the three. That's so. Yeah, yeah. you can make it happen, but it would be expen- more expensive than you're thinking. Yeah, you'd have to so trade. It's up. not. And and look, Steve and I will get into this a little bit more once we get through the phone calls that we got people waiting here. Uh, I think there is a very real possibility they trade back because the more people we talk to in the know the more we're hearing that players in this draft with consensus first-round grades do not number 32. They may not even number 25. And the Bills pick at 27. So if the Bills only have first-round grades on 25 players and all of those 25 players are gone, they're going to be looking to get out now. There could be a scenario knowing 32 boards are different across the league based on what they need and what fits their systems. There could be some players in Buffalo's group of 25 that get down to 27, and in that in that case, they would pick. But hearing that the general consensus is the pool of players with first-round grades in this draft 
is unlikely to number 30, let alone 25, it could be a challenge for the Bills to find good value at 27 in round one this year, and it might precipitate a move out. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. And then if, in fact, they do move out, we'll have to ask Brandon Bean after night one, hey, was there just no player with first-round grades that left on the board? That would be the question we'd probably pose to him. And more often than not, he's pretty upfront and honest about how those things shake out. But let's get back to the phones and take a call from Chris in Rochester next. What do you got for us, Chris? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, Chris and Steve. How are you guys doing today? Good. 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 Can you hear me okay? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Just want to make sure I'm on speakerphone sometimes. It gets kind of wonky. So uh, I wanted to talk to you guys uh, about the uh, uh, Taylor Rapp signing that the Bills made. Um, yep. I uh, I kind of have a take on it, and uh, I want to get your opinion, and then I also kind of want to hear um, – I got a question in terms of how he fits on the field. So um, when the Bills made this signing, um, it kind of reminded me of when the Bills – signed uh rafael bush in 2018 do you guys remember rafael bush barely okay I, he was he was signed in uh 2018 uh as kind of a depth safety uh you know we already had my guy jordan boyer in 2017 right right um and so the interesting thing was they went into camp and he played so well in the preseason and in training camp uh, that they really couldn't keep him off the field. Uh, they said, gee, you know, this guy's playing so well. He, we got to find ways, creative ways to get, you know, all of our safeties on the field. Um, I would argue, I think Taylor Rapp is, is a more established player. I mean, he's a starting caliber safety um, who Absolutely. we kind of have as our, yeah, uh, who we kind of have as a, I guess a luxury backup. But uh, I guess the question I have is, um, and you guys might have talked about this before, and I might have missed it if it's so. I apologize. But is there ways that you could see all the, you know, Taylor Rapp as well as Poyer and Hyde, and not having to take Taron Johnson off the field? Because I wouldn't want to take Taron off the field either. Um, is there a way they get all those guys on the field at the same time? Because I think they can all play. Um, I'll hang up and I'll listen to what you guys have to say. So thanks. Well, we did talk about this a little bit earlier. Um, Brownie and I were talking with, with Sean McDermott calling defensive signals. He may have a different philosophy about how to deploy guys and, and switch up the personnel more, unless it was his idea to do that in the first place. We don't know. Uh, Leslie Frazier, certainly 90%. I use the word, Brownie knows better than I do. I think like 90% of the time the Bills are in nickel defense. It's 95. Only, right. So the only time they're not in nickel defense is when it's short yardage or goal line, like fourth and one or, you know, first and goal from the one, that kind of stuff. They'll – go heavy. Other than that, Taron Johnson, Tredavious White, Kair Elam, Poyer and Hyde are going to be on the field uh, along with the two linebackers. If you're going to change that up at all and you've got a guy like Rapp who can get on the field and play, yeah, you might you might find ways to get those guys on the field. We don't know what this defense is going to look like with Sean McDermott calling the signals because the only people that change out of this defense, as we all know, are the front four. The back six or back seven, they never change. Taron Johnson has made it possible for the Bills to play nickel 95% of the time because he's scrappy in the run game. He he sticks his nose in. Maybe that changes this year with Sean McDermott. And maybe Rapp 
is more than just a depth player. At 25, you got to think this is a guy that's just kind of ready to spread his wings. Uh, maybe there's a reason a 25-year-old safety in the NFL is still out there in the second or third week of free agency. Maybe there's something on film that he's maybe got some work to do to be good enough to be a highly sought-after free agent. And he's got a one-year deal with the Bills to prove it that he is that guy. Maybe there's a reason that they think he's a depth piece rather than a really, really good player. Or if there's a chance he doesn't reach his potential. I don't know. But I, I agree. We Brownie and I both, I think, agree. And I don't want to speak for Brownie. But, yeah, I think this defense, we don't know what it's going to look like. And these signings all need to be evaluated through a lens that of of – ignorance that we don't know what they're going to use these guys for how they're going to deploy them are they going to go 95 percent nickel again this year with a different defensive coordinator we don't know the answer to that so i don't know what these signings mean yeah and you know i i think that if you look at it you've got history to go on here i mentioned how in his past as a defensive coordinator in Carolina that McDermott has used three safety looks in his scheme before. As a matter of fact, he did it his very last year in Carolina. Kurt Coleman and Trey Boston were the starting safeties in 2016 for Carolina, but Michael Griffin was there as well, and he played in 13 games and started six and had 40 tackles. So it's not like he was some part-time player. He got some legitimate playing time in the scope of their defense. So I I think that there is room to at least open up your brain to the idea that some three safety looks are possible. I think the question is, are we going to see it every single week? Is it going to be opponent-specific? And if it is opponent-specific, are we talking – specific matchups based on the personnel coming out on the field or are we talking a legitimate scheme type thing to neutralize something that the other team does well and as we know that can vary greatly from week to week but I would not rule it out at all because he is a talented player with a proven track record and he was a four-year starter and a former second round pick I mean this is not like some fly-by-night pickup here this is a proven player with great physical ability, and if the Bills feel he makes them better as a defense, they will find a way to utilize him. That's what coaches are paid to do. And there's always this thought, too. He came from the Rams, and the Rams are in a different place financially than they were two years ago, three years ago. And they got a guy, a 25-year-old, who's coming into the end of his contract who's going to hit the free agent market and knows it. They're not going to jump up and they're not going to – I mean, they got rid of Jalen Ramsey, for goodness sake. Um. I mean, they're they're kind of stripping it down in L.A. So they may he may be a better player than than they're able to pay, uh, or maybe they de- they don't have as great a value on their safeties as teams like Buffalo does on their two safeties. Uh, but he hit the free agent market for a reason. A twenty five year old, maybe he's not that great a player, or maybe the Rams just can't afford him, uh, even on a one year deal, or maybe he. Yeah. Maybe the Rams were going to match it, and he's like going, yeah, I'm done here. We're not going to do anything. I want to go to a place that can, can, that can contend. I've already won one world championship. Let's win another somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I could totally see that. And it, much like 
you know, the Mitchell Trubisky situation. It could also be, hey, let me go somewhere where I can get on a good roster with good players, win some games, play in some high-profile games, and if I get the opportunity, I can maximize my value going back into free yes. agency next year. I'll give you an example, and we talked about this. Devin Singletary signed a $3.7 million contract. What happens on a one-year deal? On a one-year deal. I I'm not saying anything against it because we all we all love motor. But when you get a guy that comes off a really a team that's been on a roll his entire career, doesn't he get a little extra credit for be contributing to that? Like maybe he's one of the reasons they've been so good. So teams are going to give Probably. Devin Singletary a three point seven million dollar deal where you've got a guy like Damian Harris who may who's a ball accounts a better athlete. He doesn't get that deal from the Bills. Now, the Bills mm-hmm. are saving money on the Devin Singletary contract. They're getting Damian Harris, a guy who they think athletically is better, but there's a team in Houston who thinks, hey, Devin Singletary is probably a big contributor to one of the best offenses in football. He gets a little extra credit for being on a great team. Players know that in free agency. So that's why guys not, that's, not only they want to win a championship, but when you're playing on a good team, everybody on the whole roster gets a little credit for contributing to something that's really good. You know, so you get a little boost by being on a really good team. Even if you're a backup, because we've made this argument about some of the free agent signings the Bills have had. It's hard to get on the field for a team like, for instance, a wide receiver in Cincinnati who doesn't play much. Yeah, no kidding. He's got like three of the best receivers in the league ahead of him. So he may be way better than a number two on another team just because he's got three guys ahead of him. Who are, all, who are all pro caliber or pro bowl caliber. So you, you get my point? You get, oh, yeah. you get a boost in your per, the perception of the kind of player you are by being on a great team because, wow, this guy's contributing to a really great effort over there in Buffalo. When here in Buffalo, it's like, wow, we need to upgrade Devin. You know? We need to upgrade that guy. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. It depends on where you're at. No, I get it. I get it. I totally get it. And – you know, it doesn't surprise me. So, you know, what we've got is – I think the one thing that surprises me a little bit with the conversation we've had with the callers thus far is nobody has gone to the glitzy signings. Not that the wide receiver signings were super glitzy. It's not like they were household names for the average fan. Um, but, you know, Deontay Hardy kind of intrigues me. And I know he's probably down on the pecking order at the receiver position – you know, because he's clearly behind Diggs and Davis and could potentially even be behind Shakir, especially when Brandon Bean said he's probably going to fit into that number four role. But what intrigues me about him is he threatens all three levels of the defense. And I think that's one thing that Isaiah McKenzie simply could not do. But this guy has proven film that shows him threatening defenses at the at all three levels. And for a guy that's diminutive in stature, that that kind of surprised me because uh, you don't often see that from, you know, the, the, the smaller, quicker guys, and he can do that. So he intrigues me a little bit, and I wonder if he'll have stats similar to what we've seen from Gabe Davis in recent years, you know, somewhere around 35 receptions, but maybe he's got six or seven touchdowns. Yeah, it's an interesting thought because I think for Bills fans, people who are kind of, you know, like you and I, we're, I mean, we're eyeballs deep in all this stuff particularly for Buffalo and all Bills fans are kind of right there with us. I think 
it's hard to say a guy like Hardy is going to be a big difference maker or Sherfield's going to be a big difference maker because we can't predict who's going to play. I mean, we thought Khalil Shakir right. was going to play. We thought McKenzie was going to – you know, we couldn't even get a handle on why the receivers that were on the field were on the field in the last season, right? It always seemed like to us – I mean, Khalil was really productive whenever he got in the game, or it seemed like. That was the perception. And yet, we didn't see him on the field that much. Uh, and yeah. same thing a little bit with Cook and the running backs and all that. But So I, I think it's hard for people to project – how big a difference one of these receivers are going to make when we don't have a handle on how they use their receivers or what their philosophy is on who gets to play. Right. Not to mention the fact that you have a new receivers coach in the mix as well. Yeah. Uh, well, that's true. To that whole thing is too. We have to take a break here. When we come back, we'll get some thoughts on the tweet sheet from you in terms of who you believe in terms of the new free agents will pay off the most in the 2023 season. Back in a flash here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back we are here on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker on a Thursday and time to crack open the tweet sheet where we've been asking you today what new Bills free agent signing will pay off the most in 2023. Tweet sheet, as always, brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And we lead off with Let's Go Buffalo, who says it should be Connor McGovern. Roger Saffold did not have a good year last season. Connor at either guard spot should improve the O-line. A close second could be Damian Harris if used properly. I mean, McGovern's a proven starter. I guess the biggest difference, Steve, is he's still, I think you could argue, in his prime, considerably younger than Roger Saffold, who came in here as, you know, a veteran kind of in the twilight of his career. So from that standpoint alone, you would expect better play. Absolutely. Yeah, he's right. Um, The offensive line, and, and here's the thing, too, with a quarterback like Josh, the offensive, guy, offensive line is going to look better at times than it should, and it's also going to look worse at times than it should because of the things that Josh does. Um, Josh busting out of the pocket like there's pressure when sometimes there's not pressure, or Josh hanging onto the football, not getting rid of it, and the, you know, and the offensive line actually doing its job and then looking bad as, as he has to go down because he can't break contain. Um, so Josh is always a kind of a wild card in how you have, uh, evaluate the offensive line, as is Mahomes and, and those guys that are mobile. Uh, the offensive line at times is going to look bad, and people tend to remember that more so than the good play they had. So, uh, yes, the offensive line will play better. I'm interested to see what that's going to look like. Are they going to run the ball better? Is Josh going to scramble less? Because the thing about Josh is, to me, is his playmaking ability. Yeah, he's got that huge arm, and he can drop back and sling it on time, and the ball comes out, and all all that's well and good. But the thing that sets him apart is his athleticism, his ability to bust out on a play that's covered or where they get a jailbreak on the pass rush. Um, What that looks like, better offensive line play, okay, you know, okay, so you're thinking, okay, great. That means he doesn't ever have to scramble, and he's going to throw the football, and it's going to be a – 
a 70% completion percentage. I don't think it's going to be that that way, right? Uh, what's it going to look like? You can say, well, they they – you know they may draft a, a number a kid at twenty seven who can start on the offensive line. Then they got like three new starters on the offensive line, or you know whatever. And it's like, wow, this is going to be great. And they may play lights out, but it the way it translates. What are they going? They scored more points last year than they did the year before with Brian Dable. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that's going to look like. I mean, it's pretty good now, and nobody likes the offensive line. I don't know. I'm. I don't know how good it's going to get. Is I guess is my point. Yeah, and it's interesting that he mentions Damian Harris is a close second if used properly. What would what would the proper usage of Damian Harris be, Steve? Short yardage, so Josh isn't doing it. Goal line where he has been an effective back in his career, or is it? An expand is it expanded beyond that? Because there were times, you know, in the in the period where James White was hurt for the Patriots, who had been their third down back for years, was suddenly out of the lineup. And James White, more often than not, was the guy on the field, which means that coaching staff had an enormous amount of trust in him that he knew what he was doing on a very important down where defensive looks can get quite exotic. You mean uh, Damian Harris was on the field after James White went down? Damian Harris. Right. Yes. So, um, yeah. Use, if he comes in for short yardage goal line, everybody says, all right, yeah, he's going to have a lot of touchdowns. Well, you know, so was Josh when he was the guy. So I don't I don't know what improvement you get except that taking – yeah, and I guess it's good that you take the risk off Josh and his legs jumping, you know, jumping over the top by handing it off to somebody else and let them take the shots. But – you know, if he's just short yardage goal line, what are you talking about? Four carries a game? Yeah, well, that's why I'm asking. That's why I'm asking. What is used properly in your mind for him in this offense? If, well, yeah, he's he's probably got to take over the entire role that Devin Singletary did and do it better. I mean, but I, you, you know, don't think right? that goes to Cook instead? Well, if it goes to Cook, what do we got Jamie and Harris for? Because Devin Singletary was out there all the time. Well, right, and that's the question, I think. So I'm, I think this is know. an opportunity for James Cook, and I almost feel like Damian Harris is insurance in case Cook can't handle it. Well, it's like you said. You don't want to be predictable. James Harris comes in the game. He's getting the ball. You know, Josh is going to turn around and hand it to him. If that, you know, because and James Cook can run, you know, he run routes and he'll run out of the backfield. He'll split out wide. He'll go to the wing back position, run a route. You know, James Cook kind of got that guy. Damian Harris is a guy. He's a running back. You know, he's taking the hand off and going to me. So maybe Damian Harris becomes. I mean, does he more of a three down back than James Cook is? I guess is the question. Right, and and I think that's going to take training camp to figure that out. Because if James Cook comes in here and he's ripped up to high heaven and he's on his P's and Q's and he takes full advantage of the opportunity, well, Damian Harris is just insurance. I'm not saying he wouldn't get on the field, but if Cook fulfills his full athletic potential, which is pretty darn special in my estimation, he's going to be the guy. Yeah, you'd think. Don't know what that. I don't know if that's actually going to happen. We thought he was going to be the guy last year. Um, 
And right, but we know how this team typically takes its time putting rookies on the field in big roles. Right. Um, yeah. Anyway, I you, we don't know that yet, but I think that's the that's the question. Who can can Damian Harris be as good out of the backfield in the passing game and in pass pro and running the football as James Cook is? Because I think what ultimately what the Bills want is a three down back. You know, they want a guy that can be on the field all the time. And yeah. if those they have two of them, they'll interchange them and keep them fresh. And like we saw sometimes with Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, guy that's making hay gets to go in the field, right? You know, they go with a hot hand. Yeah, on a week yeah, on a week by week basis. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's go back to the tweet sheet. And P says Taylor Rapp. Significantly less of a talent drop off at safety after the starters, and will also play together with Poyer and Hyde. I think that's a giant thing that we haven't even discussed yet about Taylor Rapp. Let's just say those three safety looks are few and far between on a week to week basis. But one of these guys, you know, who's on the wrong side of 30, misses another five or six games this year. Turn it to Taylor Rapp instead of like a second year player with far less starting experience. Holy cow, that's a that's a that's a right. very fortunate position to be in. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say this too. And, and I think go ahead. I was just I was just going to say, and I also think Steve that this coaching staff realized how much they do lose when either one or both of those veteran safeties are out of the lineup, and said, "Hey, we we really got to insulate ourselves here if we can with a proven player to fill in in the event that one of those guys can't go in a given week." You have that now. Yeah, and I think there's always a chance, too, athletically wraps better than either Poirier or Hyde at this point in their career. Maybe faster. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, um, he's six feet tall, so he's big enough. Um, that's – it may be, too, that you're, – you're right, Brownie. It, as we said earlier, it may be that he is the heir apparent. You know, they're going to – they're going to groom him to be the guy that takes over for one of these guys. And maybe they don't want to go around the bend – you know, go around this – you know, everybody signing one-year deals, one-year deals, one-year deals. Maybe he's going to be the guy that says, okay, now we're going to give you a two-year extension or a four-year extension kind of thing. Um, right. Maybe they want to get to know him before they give him a longer-term deal. Maybe they were talking about giving him a longer-term deal, and, you know, they said, well, let's get to know him first, see if he's the right kind of guy. Maybe that kind of thing. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they had the money to do a long-term deal right. by the sounds of it. I mean, Brandon Bean's talking about how most of whatever he does – in free agency going forward, it's probably going to be the one-year deal variety, which is really the soup du jour across the league right now when you think about it. Yeah, it is. I'm, and everybody's – the Bills didn't invent a one-year contract, but they're perfecting it, and they did it quick. They had been doing it for five years. They were years. ahead of the curve on it. Yeah, they've been doing it for five yeah. years. Now everybody else is going, huh, that – because, you know, you get the guys at the end of that contract. While they're under contract, if they're, if they're knocking it out of the park, you can always go to them at any – you can go to them at week six – of that one-year deal, and say, "Hey, how about a two-year extension?" You know, uh, you can do anything you want. You can you can get those guys lined up. You know, you've got them, so you can talk to them and talk them into it. So I, the one-year deals, yeah. I think, are. I mean, everybody's going to be doing a lot more of it for the time being until until a better idea comes along. I, I love it because it also at the end of the year gives you salary cap flexibility. All that money comes off the books. Absolutely. We got to take a quick break here. We'll get some final thoughts on the tweet sheet next here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
All right, back to the tweet sheet we go here with just a couple minutes left. Jack says, guards. I believe both will start and move Bates back to a reserve. Their athleticism and size will help blast open gaps for Cook and company. More importantly, it helps give Allen more time to find open receivers. Can't sleep on Trent Sherfield. Dude burns to be his best, and that will shine at some point. Jennifer, meanwhile, says, for me, it's a tie between McGovern and Harris. Both are going to help our offense become even more of a super threat. And then Tank says, Deontay Hardy will provide a quick strike target, spread the defense. It can be used for jet sweep slants and passes over the top. For some reason, Steve, I think Hardy is going to be more than just the gadget player that we saw McKenzie the last few years. I think he's going to be more than that. Maybe. You'd like to think that, or at least be more effective and maybe get one or two more opportunities a, a game than, than McKenzie did for whatever reason. You always felt like when he did something, why not do more of that? And sometimes you get frustrated waiting on him. We'll see if they use Hardy a little bit more frequently than they did McKenzie. Yeah, and I think they'll use McKenzie deeper down the field as well because – Right. Bean said it himself. He threatens all three levels of the defense. Well, if that's the case, they're going to be telling Ken Dorsey, right. make sure you put that in for him. Right. Yeah. And that's what a head coach does. I mean, he'll give the coordinator say, hey, do more of this and less of that. Yeah. That's it for us today. I hope you enjoyed the show, especially that mammoth meatball conversation and Steve <laughs> Snake Hut. Those were magical. We'll see you tomorrow at 1, everybody. Enjoy your Thursday.